a mentor of mine told me a little while ago that, uh, well, not a little while ago, maybe a long time ago, but he, he told me that I would probably never be a very, very successful person because my interests were so varied and that, you know, a lot of people in modern society and especially with the division of labor really have to get laser focused on one thing. And as you know, even in the law, it's not just the law, but it's one practice area. And, you know, to be successful, you you have to kind of keep that focus and build a career on it. Um, for me personally, I've just never been able to do that. There's too, too, too much itch in my brain, if you will. And, and, uh, too many things that I'm interested in, but I have over the last few years found a way to take those broad interests and, and kind of, um, implement a personal philosophy that has allowed me to do a, a number of things well at a time. Um, though not everything I want to do. Listening to the Maximum Enthusiasm Podcast, the exploration of life fully optimized with Megan Hotman. Hey listeners, we've got another new sponsor joining us here on the Maximum Enthusiasm Podcast. We welcome Aspire to our lineup. You can find information about Aspire at denvermedispa.com. That's Denver. M-E-D-I-S-P-A dot com. Aspire's purpose is to help patients look five to 10 years younger. They craft the right skincare journey for each individual based on their desired outcome and goals. Aspire's founder, Pam Hemker, is one of our guests on the podcast. And when we talked, I explained to her that I am not really experienced in the way of facial skincare products. She did me a solid and put together a bundle, which she has called the Maximum Enthusiasm Product Bundle. You can find it on her website. And the first eight people to buy it will get it for a price of $147, which means that our listeners will get the Vitamin C's of the Day pads for free, normally a $59 value. After those first eight bundles are sold, their sponsorship means that the Maximum Enthusiasm Bundle will sell for $176, which is $30 off the normal price of $206. Check out the bundle on their website, denvermedispa.com, and go visit Aspire in person here in Denver, Colorado. Thanks so much for being a sponsor. Hey, listeners. Here we are in late March, what I'm affectionately calling the year of March, as this month has really been something, and it just comes at us in waves day to day. I hope you're doing okay out there. I hope you're taking deep breaths and slowing down when you're able. I'm here. I'm happy to talk, reach out, direct message me, Instagram me, email me. This is definitely a time to stay connected with our community and just stay in touch with one another. No one is having an easy go of this. And I think having a really good day is a pretty rare experience right now. In light of that, I wanted to keep bringing guests on this podcast that can fill us with inspiration, encouragement, enthusiasm, uh, who can share real stories, not always about everything they touch turning to gold, but rather just to keep putting one foot in front of the other and see where it leads. So today's guest is Travis Luther, a fellow entrepreneur. I met Travis several years ago because his wife is a a plaintiff's trial attorney in a organization that I belong to called CTLA. Her name is Summer Luther. She's a kick-ass lawyer and her husband, Travis, was at several legal events, met him that way, and then also met him through EO Entrepreneurs Organization, a group that we both belong to. And we talk about that during the show. Um, Travis has so many varied interests and pursuits, which I just find fascinating because it really resonates with me as someone who tries not to just do one thing, but really thrives in a space where I'm usually working on three to four different things at any given time. So I sensed that our brains are somewhat similar that way. 
And sure enough, that panned out to be the truth. Um, when he and I spoke here, he mentioned something about having too much itch in his brain to focus on just one thing. And I absolutely appreciate that because that's how I feel too. And Travis has so many great little tidbits to share from running companies to writing a book and everything in between. He's also got these five pillars that he believes in and he shares, which I hope that you'll find valuable and informative. You can find a lot about him on his website, travisluther.com. I really enjoyed the opportunity to sit down and connect with him. Selfishly, this podcast is providing me an excuse and a platform to just sit and look at art on the wall while I talk to my guest for an hour without any other distractions. And it's so wonderful to just have a conversation I'm constantly trying to practice my listening skills and be a good listener and ask good questions. And it brings me a lot of joy to help someone share their own insights and their own brilliance. Sometimes we can't see the water that we swim in and we don't even know our own strengths until someone else asks us about them. So it's really fun for me to get to open that up with these guests and have them share. And afterwards, Travis shared that this was one of the first podcasts where he truly felt like himself and felt really relaxed and had a good time. So I certainly had a good time too. I hope that you enjoy this recording with Travis Luther, founder of Queen Anne Pillows, law father, author, dad, uh, husband, entrepreneur, former rock star, a recovering rock star, it sounds like. And um, I hope wherever this finds you that you can just sit in peace and listen to this and try to collect yourself and um, just purposefully take breaths and feel your weight on the chair where you're sitting and feel the the breath in through your nose and out your nose and um, just give yourself a little bit of reprieve. I think right now that's where the biggest enthusiasm to the maximum can be found. So thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the show. My guest today is multifaceted. I really appreciate the fact that he's got his hands in several different things because that's how I also thrive in life. Mr. Travis Luther, welcome to Maximum Enthusiasm. Thanks, Megan. Thank you for having me. For our listeners, just in terms of providing context, it is Monday, March 23rd of 2020, and we are about three weeks into the coronavirus situation, we'll call it. And probably on the brink here in Colorado of shelter-in-place rules being instituted soon, I would think. So we're. Megan, all... I don't. I don't Go mean ahead. to be. I don't mean to be the one to give breaking news on your podcast, but Hancock just issued that about thirty minutes ago. See, this is why I count on you, my friend. <laughs> I just got off the phone with a client, so I've been in the dark for about the last hour. So thanks for updating me. Okay, so Colorado yeah. is officially shelter-in-place rule in effect. Well, Denver um, is. The rest of the state is still uh, county by county, but Denver is. Denver is. We are in lockdown. And <laughs> frankly, we've really been this way, I think, just as a responsible group of humans. We've all been doing our best to abide by the social distancing and schools have been out for a while and businesses have been shuttering their doors with restaurants and many other industries being ordered to close. Mm-hmm. Uh, you and I find ourselves in this unique situation of being self-employed, which has its own set of unique challenges and circumstances, but um, at least I guess we feel more in control of our destiny, if you will. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I would say so. I would say so. I think we have the added burden of employees and and thinking about their, uh, you know, their care and their concerns. Um, But I definitely feel like I'm in a better position than other people I know, for sure. Yes, agreed. Well, and as I touched on earlier, you have this multifaceted way of doing life. And frankly, that's where I want to spend the bulk of our focus. This podcast is really intended to inspire and educate and inform listeners. And one of the things I've always appreciated most about you is that you have at minimum three very discreet and different channels of income and business pursuits. You own Queen Anne Pillows, which I want to talk about. You have this trial line law father business, which serves lawyers like myself. And then you just recently wrote this really interesting looking book about retiring in Mexico. So tell me why you do so many different things. And I mean, has that always been part of your fiber? How did Travis Luther come to be so multifaceted? 
I, I think it has always been become been part of my fiber. I know that uh, a mentor of mine told me a little while ago that, uh, well, not a little while ago, maybe a long time ago, but he, he told me that I would probably never be a very, very successful person because my interests were so varied and that, you know, a lot of people in modern society and especially with the division of labor really have to get laser focused on one thing. And as you know, even in the law, it's not just the law, but it's one practice area. And, you know, to be successful, you, you have to kind of keep that focus and build a career on it. Um, for me personally, I've just never been able to do that. There's too, too, too much itch in my brain, if you will. And, and, uh, too many things that I'm interested in, but I have over the last few years found a way to take those broad interests and, and kind of, um, implement a personal philosophy that has allowed me to do a, a number of things well at a time. Um, though not everything I want to do. You know, I really love that because I too have always felt like I was the jack of all trades, keeper of none. And I think I've felt a little bit shamed that I couldn't just pick one thing and focus on it and become laser focused, like you said. So let's dive right into this philosophy that you have found that works for people like us with these itchy brains. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me all about it. I I mean, you know, at, at the core of it is, is, um, being able to, um, set priorities in the sense that you're able to know, uh, insane, sorry, let me take that back, that you are insanely focused on what you're not going to do. So if you're somebody Ah. who has very varied interests and you want to work on multiple things at once, you have to also put effort into saying no, into turning ideas down, into shutting your own brain off and turning those things down so that um, you can have the time to get those uh, multiple interests, uh, you know, developed or implemented or whatever, whatever they might be. So the, 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 the cure to all of this is saying no. Amen. Yeah. And obviously much, much harder than it sounds, especially yes. for those of us who are, I don't want to say drawn to the next shiny thing or suffer from squirrel syndrome, but there's a lot of things that you and I are interested in. There's a lot of things that we are capable of doing. And sometimes just because we can, doesn't mean that we should, but do you have any suggestions for how you've at least approached this? I mean, are you one of those people that says it's either a hell yes or it's a no, or do you have a different paradigm or a different, um, you know, algorithm that you run your decisions through? Um, well, as a business owner, I think that, th- that there's a tendency for us to try and do um, a lot of the work on our own, especially like in the face of frustration. And so I think one of the other pivots that you have to make is not so much a, a hell yes or a no, but am I solving problems? So rather than doing things, am I, am I, am I, solving a problem. Like, can I articulate whatever this proposition is as a problem to be solved? And if you can't do that, then you're really just doing stuff or doing things. And in that way, your time is wasted and not valuable and you're not going to get anything done. So, you know, I, again, I'm just saying, ask yourself for whatever the proposition is, is this a problem that needs to be solved? Can I articulate it as a problem that needs to be solved? And in that way, you find out what things are really worth your time and your investment and which things are really just distractions. And to just segue right into that, you discovered a problem which was related to people's back pain, neck pain, inability to sleep, and you set out to solve that problem with a pillow company. Am I right? That is absolutely right. Yeah. So tell I, us the origin story. Give us the lowdown. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, it, my entrepreneurship career in Denver um, has has been over the span of about 15 years, and a lot of that has been in online marketing and Google PPC and um, social media advertising. And so, um, over the last 10 years, I suffered with really bad debilitating back pain. I was, I was a young guy, so surgery was not recommended. And at a point I thought, okay, I keep seeing all of these ads talking about pillows that can solve your neck pain. I wonder if there's a pillow that can solve your back pain, not really understanding the mechanics of pillows and probably not really understanding the mechanics of back pain. But at any rate, um, I got online and started looking for pillows and realized that I, I could find millions of pillows. There was there was no problem finding pillows, but you know I'd find one pillow that was eight dollars and another pillow that was eight hundred dollars. I'd find one pillow with memory foam, the other with feathers, another with down and feathers. But there was no explanation as to 
how, why these materials were different, why this cost was different, how these materials performed differently, who, you know, who were they good for, who were they not good for. And so since I had a uh, online marketing background, I did some searches to see if other people were getting online searching uh, in similar ways that I was. And I found that they were, you know, to the tunes of, tune of uh, millions a month. And so I thought, geez, if I could solve what was really an information or education problem in the pillow business and combine that with my online marketing expertise, I might be able to not only help people sleep better, or feel better, but also to have a, a viable business solving that problem in the Queen Anne Pillow Company. And you've seen success, am I right? Yeah. Um, you know, it's a combination of a lot of things, but, you know, Queen Anne Pillow was certainly the the fastest business I'd ever gotten to a million dollars. It, it just, I mean, the, the problem was so bad and our ability to solve it was so good that, you know, I, I've never quite had a, a rise like that. And I know you yourself have back injuries that you've been battling. So it's got to be immensely satisfying to develop a product that not only benefits you personally with better sleep and back pain, but knowing that you have a way of making humanity better by alleviating pain and getting better sleep. I can only imagine how fulfilling that must be. Yeah. I mean, our tagline is, you know, better health starts with better sleep and I believe it. And I, I have to tell you, it's even odd to me to look back on my life and think here I would be in, you know, 2020, you know, an advocate for, for a pillow company or even owning a pillow company and, and believing as strongly as I do in this idea that, you know, better health starts with better sleep. But I, I really do. It's been a transformation in my own life and life and in my customer's life. And uh, I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm proud to have to have put the pieces together for people. Absolutely. And if there's nothing, I should say, if there's anything that we all need more than ever right now, it's good sleep given what we're currently living through and going through. So now it's a a beautiful time to order yourself a new pillow uh, with so much anxiety and stress and disrupted sleep. Uh, I suspect that the pillow could really make a big difference for a lot of, a lot of our community members right now. Yeah. No, you know, our sales, I think like a lot of companies right now are down, but I'm reassured by how many people are still taking their sleep and their comfort serious enough to, to purchase from our company in these times. And, and uh, I'm very grateful to, to our customers for that. Well, I have to say, this is one of those times, I guess, my default position when I get myself all spun up with stress and things is to just go back to the things that I can ultimately control for myself. And one of the very, very few things that I know will always help me be a better human is getting good sleep. So I think personally, there's no amount of money that I wouldn't spend to ensure that I get the best sleep possible. And I think it's one of the best possible investments we can make in ourselves. So I'm glad to hear people are still ordering them. Um, Let's talk about your next business line, a totally different type of service where you work with and alongside lawyers like myself with Lawfather and Trial Line. Tell us a little bit about that and how that came to be. Yeah, you know, Lawfather, uh, our, our business in Lawfather was kind of the one I was just talking about. We started, you know, 13, 15 years ago doing web development and online marketing for attorneys at a time when there weren't really any niche companies that, that did that. And so, um, in that respect, we also grew really quick, but um, our our clients started to look at us as a technology provider for all sorts of, of problems that they needed solved. So we went from, you know, web development and web video production to actually doing um, legal related videos such as taping depositions and then uh, doing day in the life type videos for court. And then we um, developed this product called the Video Settlement Brochure, which are 60-minute style documentaries that our clients hire us to make on behalf of their clients to really show um, the effects of a of a devastating injury or, in some cases, a devastating loss when somebody is killed because of the negligence of another. Um, and, and from that video business, we had also been asked to go to trial with attorneys and to consult with them about their openings and their closings and their demonstratives and their exhibits and to put together really um, well thought out and impactful trial presentation materials. So um, Lawfather really evolved from a, a web development company for attorneys <laughs> to a, a technology company that, that now serves their, their mediation and trial needs. And so out of that, 
you know, we would build timelines for attorneys, like do graphic design on timelines for attorneys and present those timelines at trial so the jurors, the jurors could see how different events affected uh, other events and the outcomes of those events. Um, and I, I just, out of a personal time of stress and frustration, uh, where I had a, a couple of trials going at once and I had a couple of timelines going at once and I had a couple of lawyers and paralegals trying to put new events and stuff in there on the fly, um, I, I was like, I just need a template for this. I just need there something I can do online or I need something I can refer <laughs> the attorneys to so they can just put this stuff in there themselves because sure. this isn't really what I need to be doing. Um, right. And so I got on trying to be somebody else's customer, and there was not a, a, a web-based program for making timelines for court cases. So since we did have the the web development business as part of Law Father, and still do, I just went over to a couple of my coders and I said, "Hey, can you code me up something really quick?" And, really quick. And they they did. <laughs> a couple of days later, I brought it home to my wife Summer, who's a, a personal injury attorney here in Denver, and. Um, showed it to her. And I, I remember she was on the laptop at the kitchen table, flipping through it. I was standing at the Island and she kind of looks up to me. And as the choke goes, she goes, you have to dump your entire life savings into this. This is awesome. And, um, so that was kind of how trial line was born. We, we got her blessing and we started to take the development more seriously. And now we have, um, the only SAS based legal timeline tool for attorneys and, uh, we're just growing really fast because we've been able to to solve that problem for lawyers. That is so wonderful. And I have to just say the theme that kept jumping out during that whole story was how you consistently keep an open mind and you really listen to the next emerging need of your customer base. And I think that's where some of us that tend to be more jack of all trades do thrive, whereas someone who's so hyper-focused misses those opportunities by saying, oh, no, that's not my specialty. Like, that's not what we do here. And instead, you've sort of kind of gone with the flow and said, actually, let's see where this takes us. Is this another problem we didn't know existed that we could solve? And your business continually keeps evolving and redefining itself. And that in and of itself has to be really rewarding. It is because, you know, it wasn't always like this, and, and you may know this, but I taught um, at the business school down at the university downtown for about four years. And, you know, some ad some advice I would give to my students who, you know, were always eager to, to, to get advice about starting a business is that when I first started, I, my first licensed business was when I was 16 years old. I had a skateboard and snowboard shop in Washington State. It got uh, someone broke in and stole all of our, all of our stuff, but but uh, uh, so we lost it. But I but I but that's how long I've been been owning businesses. And 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 in the first kind of ten years of my entrepreneurial career, I, I believe this kind of follow your folly type attitude that you would hear about or read in self-help books. You know, I really subscribe to that uh, line we always hear. If you love what you're doing, you never work a day in your life. And that finding and following my passion was kind of what I did in business. So I had my skateboard and snowboard shop. I had a couple coffee shops. I, I had a record label and all of those things I did because I was interested in them and I wanted to do them. And they, they were failures, you know, in one part, because I wasn't really solving a problem. And in another part, cause I, you know, I didn't really know what I was doing, but what I learned after that is that, you know, my passion is really in starting and building businesses. And if I can make sure that I, when I see an opportunity, that it's a good opportunity, that it solves a problem, and that I'm actually in the right position to solve it. Once I started putting those three things together and executing on it, that's when I started having my, my real entrepreneurial success. So it is in one way being open to problems and solving them. But on, on the other side, not having such a narrow mind to think like, Oh, I should only be doing what I love. I love solving business problems. And that's what's actually allowed me to pursue these multiple businesses successfully. I love that you state it that way. I love solving business problems, which really means the sky is the limit. And also you're getting clear on what you, what you can have impact on. And to your point about some of your earlier businesses, not being as successful, you know, we also have to have a, a really clear understanding of where our skills lie and what our, our, you know, magic is that we can bring to the table. Um, you've told me about something that you call your, uh, I want to say it, I want to say it properly here, your five pillars of a prolific life. Is this some of what you're talking about right now? Yeah, definitely. You know, like, like 
number one for me is purpose, right? So knowing what you want today, knowing what you want this year, and knowing what you want in this life. And I think anybody who can't articulate a clear vision for themselves is going to have trouble prioritizing not many things, but even one thing, right? So I, I think that that purpose is just key to being able to to pursue multiple things successfully. And then the second the second pillar that I already talked about was priorities. And again, that's being insanely focused on what you're not going to do, not looking for a million things to occupy your time, but looking for a million opportunities to say no, to slam the door, to shut the book, to turn off the computer, to get off Facebook, you know, insanely mm -hmm. focused on what you're not going to do. Um, you know, the third one is, is to solve problems. So just, just like I said, like there, you, you cannot occupy your time with stuff or things that need to be finished. You need to ask yourself if I'm about to, and it's any task, it's not, it's the big stuff and the little stuff. Am I about to put energy into solving a problem or am I about to put energy into doing a thing? And if you're just doing a thing, then you should put it off to somebody else who works for you or a partner. Your job should be to solve, solve problems. And, mm. and then to that end, my fourth pillar pillar is partners. Um, you're not going to get all of this stuff uh, done on your own. You're going to need people to work on your behalf. And kind of my first rule to that is not to go find people who know exactly what I want to do or where I want to go. But as I pursue my partners to make sure I understand what they want and what where they want to go so that I'm choosing people who are already aligned with me, not, not forcing my priorities down a partner's throat. And then, sure. And then five, this is the hardest one. This is the one that took me <laughs> 20 years to figure <laughs> out is peace, right? Mm -hmm. To be at peace with who you are and what you're doing and what you're going to be able to accomplish. And at some point be able to say, I've got, you know, 20 years left in this career or 60 years left in this life. And I'm just not going to be able to do that at this point. Yeah. So, you know, being able to come to peace with that and come to terms with that, I, I think also frees you up to focus better on your priorities. Can you, I really love the last one and I can also appreciate how that is the most difficult of the five. Cause it's hard to, it's hard to walk away from something that we might have the potential to fix. It's also hard to admit that we failed at something. It's also tempting to stay in motion and not be at peace and not just sit quietly now and then. Can you mm -hmm. give an example of a recent example where you had to really kind of get back to being clear with yourself on having peace with something that you had to just let, let it go or, or walk away? <laughs> yeah. It's the most painful one in my life oh. really because, <laughs> because I, you know, I wanted to be a rock star so bad, you know, like, oh, really? like, Oh yeah. I had a, you know, a previous career as a professional musician. I used to make records and tour all over the country and, um, you know, you can still get some of my stuff on iTunes, but wow. I, you know, that was it for me. Like, like, you know, from junior high through college, uh, and beyond, like that was all I wanted to do. I had a band of brothers that, you know, they, that's all they wanted to do too. And, um, and when my wife got pregnant with our first son, I think I kind of realized that that dream was slipping away. Um, but I always had kind of hold, held on to it, you know, and then, you know, a couple years ago, uh, I found this trove of old recordings that I made and I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to give this one more shot. I'm going to re-record these songs. I'm going to put this band back together. And I, I just remember finally going, dude, it's like not going to happen. You know what I mean? Like, not, not that there couldn't be some miracle that it could happen, but like, you can't put time into into this seriously, you know, it's great to still be a musician and play, but you, you got to calm down with the eye makeup and decide if you're going <laughs> to grow your hair out long again. And, you know, it's just, it's not going to happen. So. Oh, sounds like you may still at times be coming to peace with that, but ultimately I think you're in a really good place. <laughs> I'm continuing therapy on that one. Yeah. I'm sure it's hard. It's always hard to mourn the death of a dream that we have for ourselves. I went through a similar thing with bike racing, so I completely understand. Yeah. And, um, and yet somehow we end up exactly where we're supposed to be. And, um, and there is peace in that for sure. Yeah. Um, so the third thing I really wanted to make sure that we talked about was this 
what looks to be a fabulous book. I have it on my um, Amazon, in my Amazon cart to order, is this book that you just wrote about retiring in Mexico. So give us the, the long and short on this and tell me the story behind your decision to write this book. Um, so this book actually came out of my master's thesis um, uh, up until 2011. Um, I, I, I was going to graduate school and then I had been accepted to a PhD program as well and was working on that. And kind of my, my business kind of overwhelmed my my school and I had to make a decision about choosing one or the other. So I opted to, to just finish the master's thesis and forego the PhD. And at, at the time, I was really interested in like, there was this, there was this, you know, there was this debate in the United States, which, which has really exploded with the arrival of Trump, but it was, you know, all, no, I don't want to say all of this, but, you know, illegal Mex or illegal aliens from Mexico coming and crossing the border illegally into the United States. Let's say that. Right. And so I, I had known that there was a pocket of expats in Mexico, these Americans who had left the United States and basically also snuck into Mexico, although we would never really frame it that way. Right. And, and so I was curious, I was like, okay, so we're, we're not me personally, but our culture is fighting this idea that there's something wrong and something bad about these Mexicans coming to the United States, which I never really agreed with. But I was like, isn't it interesting that we also have this big cohort of people who are sneaking, leaving the United States and sneaking into Mexico. And so I was really interested in like, like what motivates somebody to leave the United States? And so I, I got some agreement from my, um, my, uh, uh, um, mentor, I guess, in the sociology department to pursue this as my thesis, thesis, thesis topic. And, and so that's what came out of it. I wrote a, you know, a 50 page thesis on this one small group of expats who were in this one small village in Mexico, surveying them and traveling down there and asked them why the hell did you leave the United States? And right. people were, you know, since the time that that was published, people were so interested in that topic and always asking me, well, what did you find out? And who mm -hmm. are these people? Um, and, and so I told myself kind of in the back of my head, you know, one of these things, like, am I going to follow this distraction or not? But wouldn't it be great to expand that study to expats all over Mexico and to rewrite that thesis um, into a book that was, you know, not stats driven, but, but uh, e equally accessible by everybody. And so a couple years ago, um, but the, the focus of my book was baby boomers at that time. So a couple years ago, I realized that more and more baby boomers were retiring. And if this information was going to be applicable or interesting to any of them, I better get it done sooner than later. So, uh -huh. um, about two years ago, I, I did a whole new round of, um, surveys and trips to Mexico and basically reproduced what I had done originally, but expanded it to, to all over the country and a, a whole bunch of people. And, and that's uh, the book. The book is called The Fun Side of the Wall, Baby Boomer Retirement in Mexico. And it looks at um, not just the money side of why people choose Mexico, but what else is it that draws them down there? And more importantly, what keeps them down there once they get it? Because not to, not to ruin the whole book, but um, a majority of people who mo move to Mexico admit that it, it's cost savings and, and the low cost of retirement that draws them there. But it turns out there's something else that keeps them there ah. once they, once they get there and, and keeps, and, and keeps them refusing to move back. Isn't that something? And I suspect there's a theme of perhaps simplicity and slowing down uh, woven into some of those stories and just a, a calmer way uh, of doing life. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it's also kind of a critique of the commodified retirement system that we have here in the United States. You know, you'll, you'll find out that there's a different kind of community, a different kind of authenticity that these people want. They don't want to be directed by corporations as to how they're going to spend their day or what kind of, sure. you know, stacked housing they're going to live in. Um, sure. And, and so it, it does really kind of look at this corporately dictated retirement that's coming up on all of us at some point and whether yeah. or not that's really best. Right. And to your point, money going further, which is mm -hmm. a, a pressing concern for all of us, especially right now, but for anyone yeah. contemplating retirement at any time. Well, I really look forward to reading that. And uh, I know that we were discussing earlier, just in light of what we're currently going on dealing with right now, that travel is very difficult. So um, you, were, you were a bit sad that the book can't 
really philosophize in its full and free way, just given travel restrictions right now, but that hopefully once things return to some sense of normalcy, that that message will again be something that people retiring really can take to heart. Yeah, I, you know, I've got two things to say on that. One, I'm glad it's not my sole income because if I was a writer who had just spent, you know, the last two or three years like writing a book of this nature at this time to release it, you know, three months before. Because I'll tell you, my sales have really, I mean, almost stopped. Like it, it was, it was selling great. I thought, oh, this is going to sell really great as the election comes up and people sure. get more and more nervous. Um, uh, and and it is, it is just died. But the the kind of the good news about that, and another thing that I also told my students is, you know, failure could be a combination of a whole bunch of things. And right. and, and a problem that I used that I still probably have, but I used to really have is, I always looked at my business failures as personal failures. I could not separate the two. If if I failed at something at a business that I wanted to start, it must have meant must have meant that I was a failure at a, as a person. And mm. there's, you know, I can explain some of the reasons why some of my businesses failed, and then there's other reasons that I'll never even know and can't explain. And I think this book is a good reminder that sometimes luck and timing is just one of those things, you know. That's and right. I can't. That's right. You could not have possibly predicted that this. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's a a level of solace and again, you know, peace that that comes with that. And just, you know, remind your listeners that who are thinking about starting businesses that they're not all going to be successful and it's not always going to be your fault. That's right. Well, and so many of us have this dream on our hearts to write a book. I certainly do. And I have to say, I think it's successful when you actually have a product out in the world, whether it sells or not, that's still a hugely triumphant victory in my mind. And so let me ask you, how good does that feel to actually finish a book and get it published? Oh God, it feels amazing. I don't, I keep no fewer than five copies in my backpack. And anytime one of my friends starts talking to me in a way I don't like, I pull a copy out and say, well, I'm an author, so I can speak with a little authority here. I love it. (laughs) I'm just kidding. But but it, it does feel awesome. You know, I, I also describe my path to entrepreneurship as also this in this feeling inside me that I have ideas and I have to see them become real in the world. You know, that's what drives me. I want physical manifestations of the ideas that are in my head. And so to take that book and bang it around on my desk or flip through it is just amazing. I mean, it's, I you know, it is. put something out into the world that will hopefully be here for a few years. Um, and maybe yeah. even a few years after my death. And, and it, it is a good feeling. I, I won't lie about that. Oh, I can only imagine it, it is something that will outlive you. And so it, it's absolutely a legacy, whether people read it or not. There's a book that exists that you wrote. That's, that's a truly triumphant thing. And I feel like I read somewhere that you spent on and off eight years working on this project. So this was not a small feat either. No, from the, yeah, from the end of my master's till the time I finally got it published was about eight years. So any advice to the aspiring writers out there? I'm sure you contemplated self-publishing versus going with a, a publisher and um, just even drafting your timeline. Any any bullet point advice on that? Well, on the publishing side, I did decide to self-publish because I I, I know Amazon and, and that um, I read it very, very well. So I just, I, I, I didn't think there was much a publisher was going to be able to do for me on the sales gotcha. side that I couldn't do for myself, but I, gotcha. that doesn't mean that I would recommend that to everybody. Um, and then, you know, just on the writing side, um, I learned that you've really got to schedule it. Like, even though it was a, a side project, if you will, it wasn't going to get done and didn't get done until I said, okay, this week, this has to happen. And every day I had to set time aside for it. And I had to make it actually the first priority, to be honest with you. I I had to get up and start working on this earlier because if I let other things get in the way, um, I wouldn't get it done. You know, so for me, that became, you know, it was my 6.30 a.m. to kind of 10.30 a.m. block where I, I just turned everything off and just stuck to that. I think that's really great advice. And for our listeners to have some context, as you mar- as you indicated, you're married to a very busy and successful trial lawyer and you guys have, um, is it two or three kids? Two boys. Yep. Two boys. Yeah. So it's not like you have a quiet laid back household. You're immensely busy with all the businesses that you've mentioned and, you know, a busy family life. So I think that's also really inspiring to people who are trying to carve out the bandwidth to write a book. And quite frankly, what's been on my mind the last couple of weeks as I've watched 
so many people ordered to work from home and so many people um, unemployed or suddenly with, with more free time than they know what to do with, you know, what a, what a beautiful time to actually sit down and start writing a book that maybe has been on someone's heart for some time. Um, so it's yeah. good to know you got to just block out the time. Yeah, I, I, I've started a second book. You know, there's another funny piece of advice that I read from a book by Stephen Pressman. He wrote uh, The War of Art, if you've ever heard of that. Uh, if you're an aspiring writer, you've got to get that book. Okay. Because um, he talks about all the distractions to our art and how you have to treat distraction like as an enemy. So I, I just really love that. But something oh, okay. that, that, you know, as I was trying to get this book done, all I kept telling myself was, God, I just can't wait till this fucking thing is finished. You know, yeah. I just, it's like, like, I just want it done. You know, I don't care if it sells or not. I just want it out there. And then it's funny. As soon as you hit publish and it's available, you don't Aww. feel that way anymore. You're not like, oh, I don't care if it doesn't sell or not. Then you start worrying like, okay, is it going to sell? Are people buying it? Did I just waste eight years of my, my time? So, so there's that kind of anxiety. And so what Stephen Pressman said is he was, he's relating when he was a young lawyer, I think living on a beach, you know, in a Winnebago next to another guy living on a beach in a Winnebago who was also a writer. He, 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 he says, I finally got my book done. He goes over to his neighbor and he bangs on the door and he says, dude, it's done, man. It's done. You know, what should I do next? And the guy looks at him and he goes, start your next book. <laughs> and, uh, and he's like, what? He's like, no, like we're going to go get a publisher. He's like, no, you got to start your next book. Or you're going to go crazy. And now I know no. what that means. Like it's that worry of now having this thing in the world. So I have started my next book and I, and, and I remind myself of that every day. You're never going to get another coronavirus or at least hopefully you're not. So, you know, put, put, use that time wisely. And if you've got a passion project like that, you gotta go for it. For sure. And for sure right now, I, which I know is difficult in light of the stress and anxiety that men are, many are facing. And I certainly don't mean to undermine it, but I also think for the first time in a long time, people are given the opportunity to press the pause button on otherwise very, very busy and, and heavily scheduled lives. And there is some space for that creative, uh, magic to happen. And, uh, mm -hmm. speaking of magic, I just read Elizabeth Gilbert's big magic about being an artist and being creative. And I really appreciated that too. Um, just being in love with your art, regardless of whether it's good, bad or otherwise, but sort of mm -hmm. giving the magic an opportunity to find you, which I enjoyed. Um, this is all super cool and really inspiring. I love the advice and the suggestions that you've made. Uh, I guess the last piece that I wanted to touch on would be similar, which is, you know, what advice would you give to someone who's maybe thinking that it is time for them to launch their own company right now in light of everything that's going on? Well, I, I don't know what my advice would be, but I can tell you, I know for sure there are going to be winners and losers to this whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, I, I know for sure that all of us are going to come to grips with what are the things in our lives that we really need and what are those frivolous things that we've been spending on our money on that we know that we can do without. Um, you know, and I'm thinking about that in, in my own endeavors, you know, what is it about the pillow company that makes it valuable in this type of time of crisis? And what is it about trial line that, that can in, that make be valuable to our clients in a time of crisis like this? And those are the things I'm pairing the companies down to focus on, you know, with trial line, it's, it's pretty easy because, you know, we have always been a SaaS-based product that allows lawyers to collaborate online and share their cases and their case information from anywhere in the world. I'm going to just keep pounding that and remind people how important that is now. And then on the pillow company, going back to, to what you said, I have to kind of get away from from features and design and things of that nature and, and bring it back to you know, what is your peace of mind, your sleep and your comfort worth to you at a time where it feels like you can't get it anywhere else? And to, you know, just remind my customers that we're, we're here for them to solve that problem as well. So my advice is, is remember, is, is not necessarily that you should let this crisis keep you from starting a business to remind yourself that there will be winners and losers, but to evaluate in your own life, what are the things you've realized that you're willing to go without and make sure there's no crossover there and whatever that new business is that you're about to pursue. Because if you're not passionate about it or you don't want it, or you're not willing to spend money on it, it's going to be a hundred times harder to get other people to do that right now. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Passion is going to be king, right? Like that's going to be one of the top values that comes out of this whole situation and really getting back to the essentials and the the core key values. And, and as you said, getting rid of some of that superfluous spending and some of the non-essentials. Yeah. And um, I'm curious with this life of, you know, entrepreneurial experiments and your really varied background from music and everything else, do you have any predictions for what you think may emerge from all of this that we perhaps haven't yet seen before? Like what's one positive thing that you anticipate may come from all this? Well, <laughs> my, my, my next book is a fiction book about consumption. And, and it's so funny. I've been working on this book and it's, and it's a book that it's kind of a, it's a satirical dystopia. It looks at an America at the pinnacle of consumption when people are mm. buying the dishes they need every day they buy the clothes that they're going to wear for the day every day. Right. There's nothing mm. that, you know, it's kind of like this natural conclusion of capitalism in a way, which is funny to come from a guy like me who's a capitalist. But um, I, I look at the environmental realizations yeah. um, yes. that are that are coming as probably our greatest opportunity and outcome from all of this. Like yes. to realize that we can yes. live with so much less. That's right. That we can do so much more from home, that we can be so much kinder to our environment and to our neighbors by, yes. you know, by by chilling out on the consumption and being focused on what's important to us. And my best, my biggest aspiration, my biggest hope is that as we all leave this pandemic, that where our focus goes on is on experiences. If I'm going to go spend money, I want to go spend money on the greatest experience I can find, not the most expensive fucking handbag. Yes. And, you know, like, and that we travel. I mean, God, you know, to me, travel, obviously with my book and everything else, I mean, that is such a cure-all for so many ills and so yes. much discord and so much hate that we have for people in other countries that we don't even know. I just hope that we value experiences more than anything else in the world and that we get out and meet our neighbors. Mm -hmm. And I mean, our global neighbors. Mm, I love that. That's beautifully stated and shared, Travis. Thank you for that. That is one of my hopes as well, especially as a cyclist. I'm watching what's happening. The, the bike trails are packed. The bike paths are packed. I've never seen so many people out walking and riding bikes and recreating. And that's, and that's at the same time that we're seeing people working from home. So the motor vehicle volume on the roads is down significantly. And it makes me so hopeful and optimistic that we may see a decline in the use of fossil fuels and a decline in the, um, you know, the destruction of our ozone and our air quality, because we realize that we don't have to drive everywhere all the time, every single day. And even more important is what it's doing for the human. It's getting us out of our cars and out of our offices. And we're working more in fewer hours. And as you said, we're connect connecting more with the humanity around us, which I think is, it's a really cool thing. And I'm hopeful that it sticks around. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. It'd be great. It really would. Well, Mr. Luther, uh, anything that we didn't touch on that you want to talk about? Cause there's more to you than even I knew. And I've known you for several <laughs> years. So <laughs> I feel like I don't even know what questions to ask someone with such an amazing background. <laughs> I, in 41 minutes, you sure squeezed the hell out of me. I don't know. And I'm not someone who's lost for things about himself to talk about. So you've done a good job. <laughs> so here's what I do want to do. I want, and we will of course post this all on the website on the maximum enthusiasm website as well, but will you quickly give us the websites for uh, Queen Anne pillows for the trial, the, the trial practice business that you mentioned, and then where we can find your book. Yeah, I, I would say start everywhere with uh, travisluther.com. There we um, go. That, yeah, you'll find all the links and, you know, all, all of my stuff there. The, my pillow company is called Queen Anne Pillow. It's A-N-N-E. So go to queenannepillow.com and we've got an app on there that I think asks you 9 to 12 questions and predicts with a 92% success rate the perfect pillow for you. And if you're one of the 8% that doesn't get the pillow you wanted the first time, we'll send you the right one for free. And then if you're a lawyer uh, interested in collaborating online and making interactive timelines, go to trialline.net, trialline.net. Right on. And the best place to buy your book, is it on Amazon, like you mentioned earlier? Yeah, you can get it okay. on Amazon.com, both paperback and, and digital. It's on. Uh, it's at Barnes & Noble, both paperback and digital. So, yep. 
Right on. And I'd love it. Uh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> and uh, and you did allude to this also, just given your comfort and um, familiar, familiar understanding of Amazon. If someone did want to self-publish and get some help from you on Amazon, or even if they have another product that they want to sell on Amazon, is that also a, a consulting offering that you provide? Um, I'm always happy to talk to people. I don't want to do any work, but I can tell you where to go and how to go through the process. And I do that for, for all my friends and I'm happy to do that for any of your listeners as well. There you go. And lastly, the way that you and I became connected, uh, in addition to, um, me knowing your wife through the trial work that we do is through this organization we both belong to called Entrepreneurs Organization. And, uh, it's my understanding you've been a member for quite some time, haven't you? Yep, I've been a member for seven years. I've had uh, global and local positions in the in the uh, leadership, and and I, it's a uh, if you have a business uh, between two hundred fifty thousand dollars and uh, up to a million, we have an accelerator program. And if your business revenue is a million dollars or more, we have a membership program. And I would encourage anybody out there um, who wants to grow and, and get support to you know reach out to me on that too, and I can put you in touch with the right people. Right on. Yeah, we definitely are believers in the EO uh, community, and I'm certainly seeing the value of being part of this community right now as business leaders and owners come together to really try to solve some of these significant problems that are facing us. Um, so, Travis, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for sharing all of your experiences and insights, and I look forward to catching up with you again. I think we'll need to do a part two. But for now, I can't wait to see this new book, the second one that you're working on, come out. And um, cheers to helping people get better sleep with their new pillows. Well, cheers to you for uh, doing such a great job with the podcast and oh, kind of spreading your own enthusiasm. I think it's awesome, and we especially need it right now. We do, right? If anything's going to be contagious, let it be that. That's right. Yeah. All right. Goodbye, my friend. Thanks, Have a great day. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Maximum Enthusiasm with Megan Hopman. Subscribe, check out our blog, and learn more at MaximumEnthusiasm.com.